Father God, um, I ask for focus tonight as we dive into this topic, um, that we would be able to relate and that we would be able to see similarities within ourselves and the way that we judge others and the way we wish uh, to, to be judged and wish not to be judged. I mean, Lord, we thank you for a Savior um, that uh, redeems and desires our justification um, over justice for us. Um, in your son's name, amen. So today, I get to brag on my dad a little. Sorry, dad. Uh, I know how much you like attention thrust upon you, but this is a story from my childhood, and believe it or not, my dad was part of my childhood. He was there. Uh, so I'm like eighth or ninth grade, eighth or ninth grade, which is a good grade. You start to test your freedom. You think you are more adult than kid, whether that's true or not. Is that for debate? You have some responsibility around the house. You are trusted with a lot more stuff than before. And I'm the oldest, so some of my responsibility is that of my younger brothers. You know, the whole leading by example stuff. So I remember being off from school. I forget whether it was a break or a weekend, but we're off. And my grandfather is home for us. This is dad's dad. And I am doing the older brother thing of leading by example. How am I leading by example, you may ask. I am breaking one of my mother's cardinal sins of throwing the ball inside the house. Yes, good role model, AJ. Mind you, my grandfather didn't stop us. He just said several times, I don't think that's a good idea, AJ, over and over again. Of course, being a growing adult, I reminded the old man that it was fine. We were being careful, and most importantly, it was a stuffed pillow basketball. You know, one of those things that you win at, like, carnival games? Like, I think we won it at Carowinds, which is our version of Six Flags, and uh, the Carolinas, where you, like, shoot the basketball and you actually get it in the 25-foot hoop with really rubbery rims. But we won a basketball that was also a stuffed pillow. So it doubled as a pillow. It was Charlotte Hornets colors, which is teal and purple, which I will argue with any of you to this day are the best color scheme in the NBA. I love Charlotte Hornets gear. Um, so we're playing uh, with this Tommy and me, my little younger brother, this pillow slash ball. We're throwing it around the living room. What could go wrong? I mean, really, Grandpa. I will remind you all at this point that I do, don't play baseball. I play soccer. Something I remind myself regularly as I play catch with anyone. Unfortunately, on this day, the ninth grade older brother role model, who could think for himself, wasn't thinking about his lack of throwing skill as he chucked the pillow back and forth. One went wide. And by wide, I'd like to think in hindsight, we were playing, you know, how someone runs in the middle of running and you try to throw to the space that they're going to be. I'd like to remember that maybe that's what we were doing. But my guess is we weren't doing that because I wasn't very good at that. But I'd like to think that that's what we're doing. But one went wide, way wide. Um, I I can tell you this. I'm not a future pitcher for the Texas Ranger or a future pitcher for CCF's softball team, which will be called John 316. (laughs) The wind, the pitch, the wind-up, the pitch... The statue on the hallway counter. Now, the solar system statue was fine. That thing was iron. It was literally like, it was iron. If I had a daydream of 
taking on burglars in the house, that was the weapon I envisioned using to beat up an intruder. This thing was like 15, 20 pounds of steel. That statue that I hit was fine. Dad, however, had set up his mother's ceramic heart jewelry box next to it. The crash heard in the hallway was not the statue. It was the jewelry box. My heart sunk. And I mean like through my legs. Like through my feet, through the wood floors, the crawl space underneath the house, through the red clay, which is super hard, and was stuck somewhere next to the sewage pipes underneath my house. I cursed, maybe not out loud, but in my heart. I was running through every curse word I had learned at public school. And what was Grandpa there to say? I told you so. (laughs) And then he said the next few words. You need to call your father. Ladies and gentlemen, I started to plan out my funeral right then and there. Like, I figured a brown coffin would do. Like, I didn't deserve for what I just did, a black, nice coffin. Like, a brown wooden box. Not even stained or, like, sanded down on the sides. Just something to stick my body in. And I wasn't just thinking about my funeral, but I was also thinking about the way I was going to die on my way to that phone. Because I knew I was going to get it. I don't know if child sacrifice is still legal in North Carolina, but if it is legal in any state in the union, I can promise you it is in North Carolina. Generations would tell the story for the rest of time when parents would tell their sons and daughters to stop throwing the ball in the house. Can you imagine your parents, Ian? Stop throwing the ball in the house, Ian. Nothing's going to happen, Mom. Remember that story of A.J. Swanson? Remember what happened to him? You can be buried right next to him. That's the stories they were going to tell. So I walked to the phone in the kitchen. It was the last march of a man on death row. I was terrified... I was scared, I was ashamed, and most importantly, Zach, I was guilty. I had no reason to believe I didn't deserve to be punished. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest, I did deserve to be punished. I broke a basic rule with my brother and broke something important. And as I dialed and put the receiver to my ear, I prayed, probably harder than I've ever had before, that my dad would not pick up the phone. Ring, ring, ring. Ring, ring, ring. No. Running away from my problems was not an option that day. The line clicked, and it was not an answering machine. I wept. I'm not sure what I said. I'm sure it was full of apologies, and I can promise you, I can promise you, it was absolutely sincere. But what I received in return was not justice but mercy. What I got was not a hammer, but a still calm voice saying, it's okay. Dad, I know you're in the room, but I want to thank you for being gentle with me in those moments, because that sticks with me to this day. And I learned more about grace in that phone call than I had learned in church my whole entire life. When you are face to face with your sin, and the greater the sin, the greater the grace. The greater the sin, the greater the grace. Today is a story here in Scripture. Turn with me to Luke 7, 
36, it's a sinful woman forgiven. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Pharisees being Simon, the him being Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is this who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. Again, notice how he said, he said to himself, and Jesus is answering the guy's inner thoughts, and a monologue to himself. And Jesus answered, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. Jesus said this, a certain moneylander had two debtors. One owned, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I answered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. And she was wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, who do you relate to more in this story? The person that is pretty put together, Simon? Or the, for lack of a better term, the whore who washes the feet of Jesus? If I'm honest with myself, I try to look a lot more put together than the loose people around me. I see myself much more as Simon as I do the woman. So let's just for a second compare the two people because, let's face it, compare game is what we naturally do. We play this all the time. And the first thing we're going to do is your first point, which is the comparison game on your yak sheet. The comparison game. I don't have keynotes for you this week underneath the three points, so just write down what stands out to you. First, you have Simon the Pharisee in one corner. We can pull a couple things from the story at hand. One is that he was a Pharisee. Clearly, he was someone with authority within the community. You typically don't gain authority unless you've earned it. True story. So he was a man of high standing. Not only that, but if you know anything about Pharisaical law, he was probably a pretty moral guy too. Moral and well off. How do we know he's well off? He can afford to invite people over to his home to feed them. Guy has some cash. So clearly, he is successful. He is well thought of in the community, and he has high moral standing. And he sits equal with Jesus, eye to eye, at the table. We also know from the context of the story that he is interested in Jesus, because he has heard all the miracles that he has performed. He is interested in finding out if this man is a prophet, and possibly interested in seeing if this man is actually the Messiah come. The other person is a woman. Already in that culture, she is someone who is not the same status as the man. Simon, in the other quarter, simply because of her gender. 
She was clearly not invited to the party. No one invited her. But probably to test Jesus would do, Simon has let her attendance go uncalled out. We even see it where it's in. He just let her do her thing because he wanted to see how this prophet would respond to this sinner. She is letting down her hair in a room full of men, which would be equivalent of a woman walking around topless in our culture. This was a big deal. And not only that, she is washing Jesus' feet with her hair. In these times, your feet are the most filthy part of your person. Remember, they walked through streets that were filled with dung from all sorts of animals as the animals moved in and out of the streets. There was no garbage collecting service. If you had dirty water, if you had dirty waste, if you had something, you dumped it outside. That's where you put it. So these people's feet were nasty. And she is washing with her hair, the most vulnerable part of her, his most filthy part. That's why foot washing was such a big deal. And this woman has exposed herself by letting down her hair, something typically done for a spouse, and by letting her hair down in front of Jesus and washing the dirtiest part of his body with it. Her vulnerability washes the dirt off her Messiah. Her tears are used to loosen the dirt on his feet, along with using ointment to wash his feet. This ointment is probably at great cost to her. Okay? Typically to wash feet or something, you'd use the olive oil, which is, was in a lot of homes for a lot of purposes. This being one of the purposes. But she had found a treasure in a field and had spent all that she had to purchase said field to gain the treasure. She on the floor at the Savior's feet. She's at the floor at the Savior's feet knowing that she is not his equal. She is interested in seeing Jesus not because she is interested in seeing whether he is a prophet or a Messiah like Simon. She's not interested to know that. She is interested in seeing Jesus because she believes that he is the Messiah. She has tasted the fountain of living waters and she wants to drink in more and drink abundantly. Jay Gerson goes on to point out that she revealed her humility and her godly sorrow. Nor did her humility proceed only from a profound sense which she had of his surpassing excellence and dignity. Her humility came from not just her realization of who Jesus was in comparison to her. It proceeded partly from the feeling of her own past guilt and exceeding unworthiness. Her humility, in other words, was closely associated with her deep and godly sorrow. Remember that term, godly sorrow? We used this two, three weeks ago when we talked about the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. Remember that term, weep now? That's the godly sorrow that was talked about in the Beatitudes. And now we're seeing an example of it here a chapter and a half later. Blessed are those people who hate, oh, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. That weeping, that godly sorrow we talked about, here is a perfect example of it. And here, unfortunately, for the world to see of Simon, he is the one who spurns her on the account of the Son of Man. So it ties very much back in to the Beatitudes that have just been discussed. Number two is clearing debt. That's the next point, it's clearing debt debt. Typically in Hebrew culture, one would use some house olive oil to help the scent on someone's feet, but she uses expensive ointment. Typically in Hebrew culture, one would use a sponge or a rag to wash someone's feet. She uses 
her hair. Typically in Hebrew culture, you wash your guests' feet. Or you have a servant of your house wash your guests' feet. Instead here, she follows the guest in from the outside and washes his feet in another man's house. Typically, you would greet a friend in Hebrew culture with a kiss on the cheek. He doesn't do that. But she kisses the feet of her Savior regularly over and over again. The woman does show an example of how we are to respond to Christ. She does show an example. These are your four kind of four things. A, she has strong desires after Jesus, willing to find out where he is and go to him. She has strong desires after Jesus, willing to find out where he is and go to him. B, she has deep humility and understanding of one's sin and her response and repentance. Deep humility and understanding of one's sin. The third point is true affection and devotion to Christ. True affection and devotion to Christ. And four, what she has, or four, or D, a Christian walk worthy of the profession she now made. A Christian walk worthy of the profession she now made. We're going to talk about that a lot next week as we dive into the parable of the sower. But right now, she has a Christian walk worthy of the profession she has now made. And her response in the scene, uh, and her response is seen differently by people in the room. Three people in the room know that her sins are great. Simon the Pharisee knows it, Jesus knows it, and the woman knows it. But only one of them allows the sin to tarnish their reputation. Isn't that what we worry about when it comes to our sin? How we will be viewed of, of by others. Simon is concerned with it. He can't believe Jesus would allow that woman to do all this to Jesus because he knows what it will do to Jesus's reputation. But Jesus doesn't care about his reputation or her reputation. What he cares about is her justification, her sanctification, and her joy, all of which he alone is able to provide. We worry a lot about our reputation, don't we? But I think that's because we don't realize whose debt we are in. We think we're in everyone else's debt. And so we worry about how they view us. But we don't realize what Christ has taken on at his expense and the debt that he willingly and gladly carries for us. Let's be real. It's all about having the right group of friends when it comes to reputations. You wouldn't be caught dead with those other people, right? Those other people? We wouldn't want to be associated with them. But over and over again, Jesus would rather be known by the people he helped and by the people that served, than by the people that served him. That is what makes him the servant king. He lays down his reputation for us, doesn't he? He lays down his reputation for us. How? Jesus cleans our feet. That's the next point. Jesus cleans our feet. John 13, when we covered the Gospel of John, I think it was last spring. John 13 shows us what Jesus says after he washes the feet of the disciples. This is John 13, 12 through 16, if you want to look it up later. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you not understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, ought, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Jesus washes the feet of those he serves. You think about it. He gets down, if you follow the analogy, to the ugly, the dirt, the filth, the stuff you dragged in from the house. That's what he wants to wash. I've had this conversation probably four or five times while I was here, while I've been here, where I've talked to teenagers and they're like, you know, I'm going to come to church, but I need to get some stuff in my life together first. Do you not get it? Jesus wants to help you deal with that stuff. He doesn't say, okay, I want you to be really clean before you come to church and before you get to know me, I want to make sure that you're you're super moral, you're super above ground, you have a great reputation, that you've done well in your honor societies, that you've made it into the right college, yada, 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 yada. Got the Seinfeld reference in. Okay, all that stuff, none of you get the Seinfeld reference, that's fine. You do, you do, you do, yada, yada. Um, all that stuff, it, that is not what matters to Christ. What matters to Christ is the willingness to come humbly. And he will willingly wash the dirt off our feet. Jesus washes the feet of those he serves. He does not think of himself more highly than those around him. Even those he knows, he is more holy and highly than those around him. But he takes on our sin at the cross and washes us in the blood of the Lamb so that we can be spotless before the King no matter what the debt. Jesus would have, and possibly very much later on did, wash the feet of this woman as an act of love for her. Can you imagine that? If she was at one of these foot washing things too? The profound impact. I had washed yours and you willingly washed mine. Likewise, he washes your feet wherever you have walked. Whatever filth you bring in, Jesus is not like Simon, waiting to judge your actions from your past. Jesus waits to judge your heart. Bring your past, bring your pain, bringing her humility, and Jesus freely washes. There are a lot of questions and applications in this section. I'm going to have you dwell on them. We're going to answer some of them in transformation groups. How do we falsely judge people's motives? I mean, think about it. Simon's sitting there and is like, what is this woman doing? He's got no idea her motives. But he begins to judge her immediately. When someone who has a reputation of not doing good does good, do you immediately build a false conclusion? How are you devoted to Christ? What is your posture towards him? Would you sit at the table equally with Christ and look him at the eye? Or would you want to anoint his feet with oil at his feet behind him? Who would you prefer not to be in your circle of friends because of their reputation? Who's that person in your friends group that you're like, gosh, I just wish you weren't here. Have you thought about moving? There are other options for schooling. There's public, there's private, there's home, there's boarding school. You can, you can leave. Give me a group of friends that, man, I wish you weren't around. You really kind of bring us down reputation-wise. Do you view yourself more like the woman or Simon in the story? Honestly, on a day-to-day basis. How does that affect the way you deal with your sin? How does that affect your self-image? How does that affect the way you deal with your sin? We'll cover some of these questions and more in transformation groups.